Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. And today we have a very special guest with us as we continue season five, where we're talking about all things tech ethics. We have from IBM, Rama Akiraju. Hi, Rama, how are you? Hi, Cindy. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. I'm doing very well. Thank you and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. It's wonderful. Yes. And it's wonderful to see you. I'm going to tell the audience a little bit about you and then we're going to jump right into the conversation because you have a lot to share with us in the work that you're doing. Uh, We're really fortunate to have this time with Rama today. She's an IBM fellow, a master inventor, an IBM Academy member, and a director of IBM's Watson division, where she leads the AI ops team with a mission to scale AI for enterprises. Now, let me tell you, previously, she also led the AI mission of enabling, this is really cool, natural, personalized, and compassionate conversations between computers and humans. And we're going to get into all of that as we uh, dive further into the conversation. Let me tell you also a little bit about some of the awards that uh, Rama has won. Um, And then I'm going to have you tell us, Rama, how you got into this career and ended up where you are. But Rama was one of Forbes' top 20 women in AI research in 2017. She was featured in the A-Team in AI by Fortune in July 2018, and she was named as a top 10 pioneering woman in AI and machine learning by Enterprise Management 360. Those are incredible achievements. And I really think the audience would love to hear, Rama, how did you get from kind of where you were maybe when you started your career to where you are today, which is congratulations. It's an incredible uh, career you've had. Thank you, Cindy. That's uh, very kind of you. Um, Well, um, you don't really plan for such things. (laughs) You just uh, keep doing your work. And, uh, you know, if you're doing good work, hopefully things will get recognized along the way. And, uh, you know, that's how they came about. It's not like I had any specific plan that, you know, four years from now, five years from now, I'll get there. Uh, But I would say, um, well, first of all, much of my career has been at IBM um, all all through. And uh, over the years, I have worked on a lot of a lot of things related to applying AI to solving real world problems. So what really excited me along the way has always been not just science or technology for the sake of technology, but really ground it in solving real world problems. Mm-hmm. And that ranged over the years from any number of things from looking at optimizing supply chains back in you know late 90s, early 2000s to right. Um, you know, different kinds of analytics um, along the way, uh, all the way to applying AI to more uh, unstructured data, uh, which is the work that I did at Watson, which led to some of the the work that you referenced related to understanding and modeling people better. But the theme has always been around 
something around applying AI and different kinds of AI techniques for solving real world problems. Mm-hmm. So I would say maybe over the years that kind of built up and led up to uh, you know the work that I had done at Watson. Uh, and along the way, and I had uh, always kept my publication record because I kind sure. of worked at IBM Research for several number of years, and that's the culture and that you grow up in where you you know you publish. Right. And that also keeps your you know aperture broad and wide and open to it does. that are happening. So mm-hmm. that's how it all came about, I would say. So one of the projects that you led um, was the AI mission of enabling natural, personal, and compassionate conversations between computers and humans. I find that fascinating um, to think about machines being able to communicate with humans in that way. But I have to ask you, computers, as we know, they don't have feelings the way humans do, right? I mean, they don't, they don't feel, um, they don't, have that same level of of empathy that is just natural for humans and they aren't human so how is it that you can work on a project to make computers have compassionate conversations with humans how can they do that okay well good question you're absolutely right computers cannot really empathize with humans and that's why i stayed away from calling them empathetic systems Uh compassionate conversation systems got it Compassion is really about understanding uh, what the other person is feeling. And it is first detecting, recognizing, and understanding. Um, So if we want to make computers really, so first of all, let's actually step back and ask ourselves, why do we want to have computers or any kind of agent to understand the emotional aspects of people? Why not just be very cut and dry, you know, they, they call for a problem, they, they're asking for a particular uh-huh. uh, answer for a particular question, just provide that and, uh, you know, stick to that. And right. of course, yes, there are use cases and, you know, business scenarios where that's the most effective way of carrying on a conversation or, a, or providing a service to, to the human on the other side. You know, let's take an example and ground this, this particular conversation in yeah. that. Uh, let's take a chatbot, which is uh, uh, one of the, the the prominent applications of AI that's coming up these days. Yes. Increasingly, companies are deploying chatbots for customer support types of scenarios in in narrow and specific domains where they believe that they can have success and really provide effective responses to customers and solve their problems. You know, it's not something ready for every particular kind of a problem that customers of any company might ever have, but you know, narrow, narrow, more frequently asked type of questions and such customers are increasingly deploying those types of chatbots. So if we if we take that as an example domain and say, why would you want a chatbot to understand the emotions and feelings and sentiments of a particular customer? Right. Um, well, um, first of all, it, it's we as humans, really love to be understood when we are calling about a problem you know when the when you when you're angry about something you know if the voice of the person if the human on the other side is actually calming and they show some kind of an understanding of your problem and say oh i'm sorry to hear that you're having such a problem let's see if we can help you you even if that is a a a phrase that they use often and it's a pre-coined phrase that they're using you still feel a little better because you feel that they are 
listening to you and it calms you down. So it kind of is, you know, the idea of building compassionate chatbots kind of originated from it. But then now after the, after this, I'll extrapolate it to other use cases where actually having such compassion might be a lot more uh, useful and important and relevant. Mm -hmm. But in a, in a chatbot type of a conversation, if you understand, if a person is calling really angrily, right, about something, if the agent, even if even though it's a chatbot, if it said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that you're having that problem. I see that you're frustrated about it. I'll do everything in my power to help you with the problem. And if it actually solved the problem right there, even it gives you that little bit of time to go look for the right answer because the user now felt like, you know, they've been heard. And mm -hmm. we've, we've done a bunch of studies to better understand if that is indeed the case. So based on the the tone uh, that the user is calling with and the tone that they're expressing if you modify the response or if you prepend or append the response with these kinds of phrases that um, demonstrate the, their particular some kind of an understanding of their particular emotional state they actually go back more satisfied than they were to if they were to just simply receive a, a response with no acknowledgement of their emotions. Huh. How that's, interesting. That's actually, it's proven with studies. And um, that's uh, one of the use cases that we applied it to. But there are many other use cases where you would want uh, to have some kind of an understanding of the user's uh, emotional state. Um, you know, the, the robots or bots have been built for as, as companions for elderly uh, people, mm. or people who are lonely. Yeah. In such situations you can imagine if um, a bot is exhibiting some level of maturity and understanding of a, of that particular elder, elderly person's emotion state. And depending on that, if it engaged in a conversation, say if the person is um, being very moody or not chatty, maybe you know the system will get that and from the conversation, uh, maybe read a joke for the person or uh, crack a joke um, to lighten up the mood or uh, you know read an article that they might be interested in. So things like that, it's, it's been used for those kind of scenarios. So yeah, understanding in that situation, you can imagine um, having a better context around how the person is feeling is, is very important for the bot to have a, engage in a meaningful uh, emotional support, provide that kind of an emotional support for the person. I have to say, I think the chat boxes, while they're getting better, my own personal experience, they still have a little ways to go. If I'm really upset about something and I call, you know, to talk to somebody in customer service, I will oftentimes get very frustrated by the questions that the chatbot needs to ask in order to kind of figure things out and feel as though I would just do better if I talked to a human, um, you know, and will frequently say, let me talk to a human, let me talk to a human, which, which they're getting better about kind of getting to that faster as opposed to making you answer a number of nonsensical questions that when you're in an upset state don't make a lot of sense, I often find. But I will say some of them have gotten better. And I have had a few problems resolved without having to resort to saying, speak to a human. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's really a design of uh, the chatbot system. It yeah. has to do with really the, the rest of the, the comprehension, the intent understanding, and the response generation that chat, that AI can power behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. That is the technology part of it. And then there is the actual, the business uh, decisions and, and the business process aspect of chatbot, which you know, a company might choose to for whatever reasons that they would want 
the only the chatbot to take up certain kinds of questions and make it as hard as possible to reach humans and that's an unfortunate decision i really agree yeah. with that. And, uh, you know when you would do a lot better in terms of offering superior customer service to your customers if yeah. if customers really want to talk to a you know a human just yeah yeah make let, it happen let it through. As soon as yeah right or, right or give right. them give them an indication that you know, we're happy to connect you with a customer, but the wait time is going to be such and such. Sure. Or talk to this chatbot, which may ask you a few questions, but we may be able to help you. It may be able to help you, or, or it may even, they may even give some kind of a, based on, you know, stat, uh, an average statistical answer saying, in the past, these kind of questions have been answered by chatbots more effectively or within a matter of few yeah. minutes as, com as compared to, you know, the wait times that you may have to have within, to get to connected to a human, which might be, you know, 20 minutes from now, whatever, you know, providing more information to the users and making it more transparent would be yeah. a good business process design for a chatbot. Yeah. But I think that's more sort of a, the design aspects of a chatbot process as opposed yeah. to the technology and the AI that that right. support, yeah, the yeah. setting of the questions. So Rama, on the idea of companions, especially for older people that you mentioned um, who may be lonely, do you see any, you know, ethical issues or, you know, issues of integrity with encouraging relationships, if you will, between humans and um, computers as opposed to other humans? Yeah, well, uh, uh, a very good question. There are all kinds of uh, ethical questions um, to be discussed and uh, considered in building such uh, kinds of tools. Um, you know, obviously, if you can have a human be a companion to an elderly person, mm -hmm. such an arrangement can be made. Right. Relatively easily and inexpensively and on demand. Right. Good, right. But in many cases, especially in in old countries like Japan, where there is a lot of uh, older population, uh, the, the, the percentage of older population as compared to the younger is higher. Right. Right. Um, loneliness and, and, and especially, again, if the number of children or families and, you know, how the family structure is um, joint families versus uh, people right. living by themselves and such. And a lot of these social factors uh, play into a role of uh, that contribute to whether somebody would end up, you know, alone at uh, an old age. And yeah. in some situations like that, where it is, it may not be possible and not on demand, um, if not for, you know, every particular thing, I would say there might be some things that are very helpful for people who whose eyesight is not that great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Having, having a... a you know, a bot read out newspaper articles yeah. or highlights is a good thing. Why not? Right. Oh, yeah, you're uh, right. It may not have so much to do with, um, you know, ethics and emotional support in, in that particular case. Um, we already have, you know, all kinds of devices in our homes these days, yeah. um, series and um, Google Homes and Amazon Alexas that uh, listen to our conversations often and <laughs> provide various kinds of uh, uh, answers to our questions. That's so it, it, it goes, um, I guess, depending on the, the scenario and again, the use case. And I've seen, you know, as early back uh, as uh, seven, uh, late 70s, there has been work done to uh, embed some of the um, the compassion and, and those uh, understanding into um, embodied uh, bots, if you will, you know, these are like pets, 
um, mm. uh, chips and AI chips embedded inside them that provide, um, you know, comfort and yeah. uh, simple, you know, it's not even conversations, but they just uh, simple commands and simple yeah. things, but uh, almost assistance as opposed to companions, assistance. Yeah, as, well, not even an assistant. They don't even do anything specific. Mm. It's just that you find a lot of comfort in petting them in a specific place. And I've seen these elderly homes um, buy some of those things and people oh. who are recovering from different kinds of physical and mental illnesses who are experiencing loneliness may find comfort in, in having such uh, pet-like uh, uh, things. Um, but I don't want to particularly take this conversation in that yeah. one particular direction either, right? I mean, it's, it's just one of the use cases. And uh, as we increasingly... You know, we are already seeing in our daily homes, as we just spoke about Alexa and Siri's right, and, right. Uh, Google Homes. You know, th there is a lot to, lot about understanding the speech, understanding mm -hmm. the natural language, understanding the accents associated with people's uh, speech, quickly translating that, and uh, un based on the intent, retrieving the right kind of response and getting back to you in a timely manner to sure. help you quickly answer the question that you have at hand those are already there in our lives and there's yeah. a lot of stuff that's happening behind the scenes that we don't pay attention to right of all of this natural language understanding speech understanding accent understanding that's going behind the scenes and that's we all find it tremendously useful already in our day-to-day -day lives so, mm -hmm. and so whether or not it's compassionate yet but conversation yeah. understanding is happening already. And there's a lot of AI that powers it. Um, com compassionate conversation understanding has, you know, subset of these use cases where it would be helpful. Um, sure. And we have to, of course, navigate this area with res responsibility and mm. uh, ethical manner. So we don't make people dependent on things, but at the yeah. same time, if it can offer timely support, sure, um, provide such a support. Yeah. yeah. So let's switch gears for a minute and talk about another uh, responsible use of AI that I think companies need to be thinking more about and employing, um, where I, I also know you've done some work teaching AI to speak multiple languages, throwing out a, a big word here for the non-technical audience. I think you call that polyglot AI, where it can actually speak multiple languages. Why do you think that is important for a company's responsible use of AI? Yeah. Imagine a, a, a system, an AI system. Let's say, let's take uh, actually um, uh, these uh, devices that we use in our homes, Siri uh -huh. or, Alexa, yeah. um, um, or Google Home. Imagine if it can only let's say that it 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 is uh, it's, it's marketed and it's in the United States and and somebody in the U.S. bought it, um, but that person is not a native U.S. born person, speaks English like me with in, uh, Indian accent. Let's say, um, what if that device has not been trained well uh, to understand the Indian accent of English? That mm -hmm. device is pretty useless for me. First of all. Uh, it, its usability is restricted because it only understands the, the the language and the accent spoken by native people who are born in a specific way. 
and second it it actually could be uh, a discrimination right um and this has come up in different contexts where whether it is uh, based on language or based on accent or based on image recognitions you know the where the, there is the the color uh, um, skin color and other kind of factors it could lead to um, first of all reduced target market uh, base for your customers if you are yeah. a company that's building you know these ai products right and secondly it could be all, it could lead to all kinds of uh, lawsuits for you because it, you're you know in a way consciously or unconsciously you haven't taken into account that there are people who speak you know a particular language in different accents and i'm only talking about english right now with accents but you know if it doesn't speak in different languages then of course you are restricting yourselves to english market alone so sure. if you want the broader applicability of the products that you are building you know and bigger reach broader reach obviously you want them to cater to the different kinds of languages that people in those countries and regions speak that's number one so it's pure revenue and business um case you could argue but beyond that if you want to um really serve the community and the, the the your user base well you 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 want to cater to all of the different kinds of variations that they're that they have the context around them right mm-hmm. and that includes languages that includes accent that includes even industry specific languages because uh, if you even if you just take english the kind of vocabulary that's spoken and used more frequently in financial services domain right was insurance domain versus um, yeah, you know retail domain is different right so very very if different you, if you if you take a speech to text recognition system and expect it to do well in an order taking um say service that uh, a fast food restaurant wants to deploy it may not do very well because it it may not really recognize some of the new names that the fast food restaurant may have given to its foods ah uh, right know, say, new mocha that starbucks uh, creates right uh, it well, it hasn't been pronounced before because they concocted it <laughs> it's a new name mm-hmm. and it doesn't know how to understand such things so ai you know if you want to really put it to use in a particular problem domain you want to really clearly first define what is the problem domain in which you are expecting it to excel and be good at correct and make sure that you have trained it and you have tuned it to really do well in that domain mm-hmm. in an ideal world we would have a good speech recognition system that out of the box comes with ability to recognize any kind of language any kind of accent in any kind of industry in any kind of region and all that but that's solving general ai that solve that that is a much harder problem to solve because yeah. it would require too much data too much train too much compute too much time too many resources right that's what money. i was wondering right so right now where we are at is you know define your problem Got have it. a clear understanding of where you want it to be, be good at create your test uh, data sets accordingly make sure that when you build it you test it and on those domains and and then bring it 
Um, and it's a very narrow special purpose uh, system that works for that domain, but who cares? It works yeah. well for that domain, it solves the problem. Yeah. So that's the language. So the understanding when I did the language work um, at Watson was that you don't have to really try to solve the full general purpose AI problem to really solve the problem at hand. You focus on the problem at hand, define the, the scope, the domain, and the parameters that it needs to do well at, and then go get the corresponding data. If you, if you need the data to train it, it. if Got that's it. kind of a, a system that you're building and make it really good at that. And, and in doing so, be conscious of all of the, um, the biases that you may unconsciously uh -huh. system and yeah. ensure that you have a good test set and a test base and and if need be hire third party uh, you know testing uh, company with different unseen data sets to test and evaluate and give feedback on before you yeah. deploy it so you can yeah. avoid some of the backlashes and pitfalls and those sort of things that may come about well, let's talk about social media for a minute. One of those areas where I think the horse is already out of the barn when you talk about, you know, multiple languages and AIs being able to understand and actually companies use AI with multiple languages. I mean, just take, for example, what was in the news recently with the Facebook files and how, um, you know, you've got Facebook in, in all over the world now and in certain countries where it's being used by, you know, some bad actors to promote things like sex trafficking and human trafficking and, and forced labor. And um, it would seem to me that that would be a place where a company, a tech company like Facebook should be able to use in their investigation, like multiple language AI to better understand where that's happening and, and get their arms around it. But that also sounds like it's this not a specific use case. It's like something that's already out there and you'd have to solve the whole big AI issue in order to get your arms around a problem that's, you know, that big for a company. Is it, did I describe that right? Or is there a different way that you think a, a company that may have some bad actors like allegedly Facebook does from the Facebook files um, with AI, with, with their site being used in countries wrongly, um, is there a different way they could use polyglot AI or multi-language AI to get their arms around that problem? Well, I mean, you can always um, uh, use technology for good or bad. There will always be bad actors. And, you know, this, this goes from uh, times immemorial. You could use electricity to light up a city or electric. Electri electrocute somebody uh, you could use nuclear power to light up uh, a city or to you know bomb a, a city or a country so the, so we have bad actors yes so um how can we stay ahead of the yeah the right that's really the core of the question what are the so just the way we're using ai to to solve some of the problems at hand Bad actors are also using AI in, a, in 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 different ways to do bad things. So yeah, you you have to be constantly mindful and watchful, and uh, build the right kinds of checks and balances and and uh, mechanisms to monitor how your product is being used. Mm -hmm. and, um, um, 
put the right kinds of alerting mechanisms. Mm. And again, AI can be put to use for right. you, in this particular case, you're talking about, uh, you know, can you um, understand the, the, the context or the information that bad actors may be posting on different kinds of, uh, um, you know, posts and such. And yes, it can be uh, done. And I'm sure, you know, companies are already actively doing that. Yeah. To, to prevent such things from happening. But in general, you know, this proliferation of uh, fake news and deep fakes and those types of things are going to happen more and more because, you know, that's the other side of putting technology to use. And we just have to continue to um, mitigate it and prevent it with all kind, all techniques on all things that we can do with, including technology itself, AI-powered technology, but also with um, the right kind of regulations and uh, um, ethics boards and yeah. pretty much everything uh, that we can bring to bear to yeah. to, to solve the problem. Uh, we as, as a um, society and we as companies that are building products have to have to do that. And in some cases, we've noticed that um, you know the technology goes ahead you, you so fast that uh, yeah, it does that regulations and policies uh, are catching up late and 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 therefore uh, companies who are driving the, the innovations have to take the extra responsibility uh, on their own shoulders to to do the right thing yeah right even right while even Regulation while just can't keep up catching up. Yeah. 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 So let, let's flip that around. You, there's also another, at least it was a use case of a very, the positivity pump, something Chevrolet had, had at least sort of um, tested in certain areas of the world, which was a, which was a great use for like AI and technology and social media to be used positively. And as I understand it, it was like, you'd get free gas if your the AI analyzed your social media in a way to see that it was really positive, um, and with our society kind of where it is today, with a lot of people, you know, in the in their corners and oftentimes not being the most productive as they could be, let's say on social media, that seems like a really great idea to me. Is that is that something that is um, was just tested, or is that uh, still is that actually being deployed today, or what can you tell us about that? <laughs> I love that one. When I saw that, uh, the, the way in which our work was put to use to um, drive positive engagements to yes. customers at the pump by Chevrolet back then. I, to be honest, I haven't followed up to see if that is something that was just, just done as a proof of concept or if they have actually uh, deployed it in, yeah. in places. Uh, it might have been a, a you know a proof of concept uh, kind of an idea to say yeah, right to showcase the possibilities of what you can do. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, the what that highlights is the possibility, the possibility right. that uh, you can engage with customers at at different point, various points, including at a gas pump, um, based on the context, based on the in their interests, based on their personality traits and all of those things taken into account. Right. We found a great way of um, offering very engaging uh, services or product promotions, if you will. 
Right. So if your positivity score, you know, on social media was ranked at, you know, 80, you would get more free gas than if it were ranked at, say, you know, 50. So it was, right. well, it was not only free gas, but in some cases they were offering, you know, somebody a photography lesson with the, you know, oh, that's right. a renowned it's photographer that's uh, right. or, you know, a session with the, an afternoon with a chef uh, if you're interested in, you know, cooking. Uh, you know, with the top chef in your area in a restaurant. Right. So these are all, you know, interesting ways in which um, product promotions can be offered to customers. Sure. In a way that is very personalized. Right. To them based on mm-hmm. their interests. So Rama, let me ask you one other question. You're a very accomplished woman in this space and you've had a very distinguished career. Um, I think the perception still is in tech that women can at times have a hard time succeeding in a in a STEM uh, career. What advice do you have for young women or minorities that are listening to you and wondering, you know, what can they do to have a successful career in a, in a STEM field like you have? Well, first of all, in STEM field, um, there are many, many different opportunities, you know, they're ranging from business analysts to data scientists to actual programmers to product managers to, um, you know, sales folks. And, you know, there are, so first of one thing to keep in mind is that the plethora of roles for people with all kinds of backgrounds. And I would say increasingly the need of the hour for companies are these T-shaped individuals. That is, individuals who are, who have the depth in a particular subject matter, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. but are also uh, the T, the top part of the, the horizontal line is about having the breadth yep. and mm-hmm. understanding of multiple disciplines. This multidisciplinary uh, background is so critical for uh, companies to succeed in. You need to be able to understand the domain of the business and understand whose problem you're solving, understand how people interact with systems, the design aspects and the technology aspects uh, and the economics around it. So uh, first of all, STEM is not just don't people who say, oh, I'm not so good at math and I may not be fit for, um, you know, computer science or this kind of roles. Um, that's uh, a, a false perception to have. There is right. all roles for all kinds of things, especially, you know, the, the whole conversation that we had today in this podcast is about, um, uh, you know, a lot to do with compassion and how chatbots will, or even conversational systems and computer systems. And imagine there is so much psychology behind it, right? Yes. It's, it's really at the intersection of psychology, linguistics, machine learning, and uh, um, you know, retail business domain knowledge. So I I think it's you know the the yes there are roles and there are places there are specific career paths that are highly mathematics uh, based. And there are the, that are highly based on programming, but there are so many that are uh, that the intersection of all of these things that anybody with any combination of these backgrounds can bring uh, mm-hmm. and add a lot of value to building mm-hmm. great products um, right. today in companies. So my guidance and advice would be, um, you know, there are no limits here. No matter what background you are, you can still come into a STEM field and and into IT industry and still make a significant difference. So that's number two. And I would say, unless you are somebody who's pursuing advancement of deep technology or algorithms or hardware and such, 
many of our jobs really require on a day-to-day -day basis, if I look at what I do, it's really a lot of interaction with the design team, interactions with the product management team, interactions with the engineers, interact with interactions with the architects, interactions with um, management. It's, so there is a, there's a lot of hard work and a lot of things that have to come together in a day. You're not necessarily uh, just in a, sitting in your cabin and and uh, you know writing code or you know right. mathematics. So for those especially who have that fear that you know I am not so deep in it, majority of the jobs out there don't require it. So go yeah. pursue it. And you know one other incentive is this is where majority of the jobs are going right. to. Right. The whole industry is getting transformed, and there is so many opportunities and and high-paying jobs and opportunities in this field. So go out there, get yourself, and there's, there's so many courses that are offered online these days on, on social MOOC platforms um, like um, uh, Coursera, Udemy and such. So get yourself um, certificates and mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to have you know, degrees and PhDs in this to um, get a high-paying job. So there are so many opportunities um, and this is where the industry is going. Why would you not want to be in this field and help shape yeah. what happens in the next generation in, in, in the whole industry? So I love that. So don't think narrowly, think broadly and, uh, and, and proceed um, courageously and boldly and go, go for it is what I hear you saying. That's great. Raman, this has been a... This has been a fabulous conversation. I've enjoyed it very much. And I always like to leave the audience um, with some recommendations at the end. If they want to go a little deeper on this topic, um, I'd like to ask my guests where you go for inspiration and where you would direct uh, the audience to go if they wanted to either read something or watch something or listen to a podcast series to learn a little more about this area. Do you have any recommendations for us? Oh, there are so many out there, you know, these days, uh, so many folks online are doing podcasts on these different topics. You know, my my source is really YouTube. I just go there, look for, uh, you know, any particular topic. And there are so many professors who are offering their courses um, in, in, in snippets that you can actually consume, you know, 10, 15 minute snippets on any given topic. Uh, you, you know, I catch up on several of those kind of things uh, myself uh, regularly. Um, and of course, Coursera is a great place to go on any given topic. There are so many courses. Uh, um, if you are, you know, just a little bit more committed, it, it might take more commitment in terms of the number of hours. Um, you know, reading uh, in the podcast, there are a ton of them. Um, data science related podcasts and uh, cloud-related podcasts, AI, ML, ethics, and such, uh, and uh, automation-related ones. There are so many. I think you only have to look online to find them. Um, I, you know, for me, uh, the way I do it is, you know, it's a combination of all of these things, and also um, looking at uh, where um, you know, archive uh, uh, is a great place online for various kinds of uh, academic um, uh, papers that people are putting out for everybody to to check out. Um, mm -hmm. So from time to time, I look at what's the latest on you know, a particular topic and, and read um, the abstracts and conclusions of a paper. If that looks interesting, go read the rest of the paper. And, and sometimes I'm on program committees where I review uh, papers uh, that uh, are peer as part of the peer review process for conferences. And, 
that also keeps me up to date. So there are different venues, but these days, you know, information is, is, at, is at all of our fingertips. It's so much. It's, it's, it's just readily available out there for anybody who's a bit of curiosity. You can go learn about pretty much any topic under the sun. You really can. It's amazing. So, well, those are great recommendations and great, like, just directional places for people to go and um, and things for them to check out. So, Rama, thank you. This has been a fascinating conversation. You've been very generous with your time and, and your knowledge and your wisdom and your thoughts and explanations. And I know the audience has taken away a lot from this. So thank you very much for sharing with us. Cindy, thank you for uh, having me on your podcast. I've enjoyed our conversation. I hope your viewers will get something out of this, whatever 20, 30 minutes that they spend on it. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and your accomplished career, and you're doing a wonderful service to your students and the community by bringing different folks to your podcast. So thank you for your work as well, and it's been my pleasure. Well, you're welcome. This has been great. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Rama. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.